podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with Kay Lynch, festival director, film producer, event producer for the George A. Romero Foundation, and founder of Salem Horror Fest. She's an innovator in queer and horror spaces, and Salem Horror Fest became a beacon in the horror community since its launch in 2016, championing queer and women-led horror media, and I'm excited to be speaking to the creator of it today. Kay, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Excellent. Um, So starting a bit with your background, I wanted to ask, like, how what sparked your love of horror? Sure. Uh, My earliest memories uh, in horror go back to TV. Surprise, surprise. It was the the most accessible way for me to see some fucked up shit. And I grew up in the 80s. And so, um you know, there was no shortage of that. The the programs that I remember most, um, you know, so obviously there'd be the Saturday morning cartoons, but then in Saturday afternoon, there'd be the cable uh, horror movies playing. So I saw a lot of uh, horror films. That I didn't know what the titles were, had no context for, you know, obviously there'd be a lot of commercial breaks. So I'd only, I wouldn't see a lot of them in their entirety. Um, but that's how I saw a lot of movies like Munchies and House and Child's Play, or at least parts of it. And some of it's taken me decades to connect to what some of those films are like Munchies. I For decades, I was like, what is this film? And eventually I discovered what it was. Um, but I think the film that like really secured me as a fan moving forward and opened the door for me to like want to learn more was watching Carrie on TNT's Monster Vision um, mm. with Joe Bo- with Joe Bob Briggs. And yet that film, um, you know, obviously as a lonely queer kid, I had a lot I could relate to Carrie. Um, and the stinger at the end when Sue Snell's pop uh, Sue Snell's hand pops out of the grave, I had mm-hmm. this like deep panic in my chest that I that I, you know, I was like, what is this feeling? How can, <laughs> how can a movie make me feel like mm-hmm. I'm having a heart attack? What's going on? And I just became addicted to that adrenaline. Amazing. Yeah. I think, uh, for me, I think the first horror movie I ever saw that stuck with me was gremlins. And I was even too young to be watching gremlins. And that's, that's really always stuck with me that a movie that I now find more of as a comedy was terrifying to me as a child and you can do that at any age range or any kind of um with any focus within the horror genre absolutely actually that was a big uh, influential film for me as well too because it was always playing at like sleepovers and stuff mm-hmm. and i'd watch like the first 20 minutes so many times like i'd seen the first 20 minutes over and over again but as soon as the doctor or the the professor puts his the candy bar under the desk and he gets the needles in the ass when the Mm -hmm. (laughs) when the um when the mogwai turn into gremlins i'm like all right that's enough of this movie (laughs) (laughs) so when i when i finally watched it in its entirety it was like a, a, a rite of passage Fantastic. Yeah, I think the one for me for that was The Exorcist, because the first time I, quote, saw The Exorcist, it terrified me and I stopped watching it and then watching it again. I think actually I didn't even watch that again until college. It was very much my rite of passage into, okay, I absolutely love horror movies. This is my life now. Yeah, uh, nice. Um. So, yeah, 
speaking of film in general, why did you choose horror film and festivals as your career path? Uh, it it kind of came about organically. So when I was in college, I was studying advertising um, and theater. So I um, was involved with a lot of theatrical productions. When I was in college, I worked for uh, the Center of Arts and um, I was involved with, with all of the disciplines promoting the events and programs that you know, the music department, the art, art and theater, uh, et cetera. And I just found that I really had a passion for promoting um, other people and promoting mm -hmm. um, creative projects. And so through that, um, it, it led to me to pr you know produce independent theater projects. And I think theater in general gave me a sense of like, can do spirit you know what i mean it's like you know you never had much of a budget but you know we got people of different skills together and um you know i was largely a publicist sometimes i i performed um but it was always such a group effort and at the end you have this production people come <laughs> they pay money to, to watch it they laugh or they cry or whatever the intent um of that production mm -hmm. is and it sort of gave me this sort of like base level understanding of how to bring a project to fruition uh on your own and so um over time i developed a, a few projects on my own um performances i, I started like a, an original midnight rock horror show in 2013 nice um I had a, a gay events company for, for a few years. I started a, a creative um, business uh, incubator space. You know, it's like mm -hmm. a least office space to people of different professions within the creative industry. And, um, and that was always either going back and forth from that to a more traditional like nine to five type corporate job. And in 20... 15 and um i was working as the director of marketing for a dating app company in cambridge um <laughs> that was you know pretty cool experience actually you know i had um a great team i had a huge budget it was very you know my job was to get people laid <laughs> it was pretty cool but it was still a very it's much an honorable a, career path yeah <laughs> But it was very much a nine to five, you know, plus a corporate environment that mm -hmm. along with it came office politics and all that bullshit. So yep. I just I got burnt out and was not I didn't have the time to do sort of the creative things that, you know, really inspire me. And so when um, when the election came about, I mm -hmm. was like, you know what? I'm going to do what I want. Um, I'm, just, I'm not going to just put up with this misery anymore. So I quit the job and decided I was going to start this festival. And I just so happened to live in Salem. So it always struck me odd that we didn't already have a, a horror film festival. Right. It's the uh, perfect place for one. Yeah. So that was always something just like, for the last 15 to 20 years have been like, or I mean, I guess 
like 10 years before I started the festival, I was living in the area wondering, this should be a thing that exists. And eventually I was like, all right, well, I could figure it out. <laughs> nice. Um, it, it's interesting because it, there's always that weird impetus of like, what made you start doing your thing? And, and for me, it was very much a, I was kind of already doing it. So why not, you know, build a business out of it? Um, and then it feels like your entire career path very much pushed you towards this. <laughs> and then, and then global events or at least national events. Yeah, it was, um, you know, just marrying the skill set with the interest um, and being like, well, <laughs> why, why spend my time promoting stuff that I'm less passionate about when mm-hmm. I could, you know, put that towards, you know, in, in this case, you know, independent filmmakers and horror creators in general. Absolutely. So in addition to launching Salem Horror Fest and working there, you also do work in the film industry as a producer. What, what, how did you break into film production? So it was through the festival. Um, the two projects that I, well, there was one, Mass Hysteria was my first as an associate producer. There was an um, independent filmmaker in the area who wanted to make a film in Salem mm-hmm. um, that take the set in Salem. And uh, it's it's a really funny, really funny movie. The um, Jeff Ryan was a really charming guy uh, and has just like a, an incredible talent for comedic timing. And so I, I really appreciated him and just I wanted to help in any way I could to, to see that, you know, movies to be made in Salem. Um, it's definitely something I want to encourage. And so, you know, just helping him with strategy um and figuring out locations in salem and who to talk to and all that stuff um but the projects that i'm working on now which i have a little bit more of a a, a hand in um came through the festival it was after last year um the last couple couple of years we have been premiering more and more independent films you know it's taken Mm -hmm. us uh, some time to build the name up so that we had enough, you know, a lot of submissions to present, a, you know, a full program of independent works. From when we first started, it was a lot of repertory stuff to, to, to yeah. begin. And over time, we got more and more um, submissions. And I just continue to be amazed by the amount of talent um, that is out there and the amount of talent that we attract. And so, um in 2020 we did an all virtual program and there was a film that we premiered uh death drop gorgeous which is this really funny uh gay horror film that is now available on shutter and then the following year last year we premiered a film called so vam which is a like a teen vampire um film that was directed by a 16 year old trans girl from october i mean from october from australia (laughs) and um and i i just i really want to want to see more queer voices in the horror space and i've always been thinking what can i do to help support Mm -hmm. that to elevate that to foster that and i just 
look I was like, well, why don't we just look at the filmmakers that we already have worked with? And Death Drop Gorgeous um won an audience award uh in twenty twenty. And so Vam won the jury award in twenty twenty one. And you know, the filmmakers are all really special, sweet, kind, talented people that I respected and wanted to see them succeed at whatever they did next. And so I really wanted to just start there and be like, well, I didn't even know much about what their next projects were going to be, but I knew that I believed in them. Mm-hmm. And so I just started talking to them and wanted to help. And it's been, I don't know, it's been a learning process. <laughs> um, you know, the, yeah. the, the main thing that I've learned uh, that's the role of the producer is that there is no defined role. I mean, there's <laughs> fi- finding the money is like a big mm-hmm. thing that, you, that is in every producer's um, sort of role is, is finding as much money as you can for the budget. But it really depends on the project. It's it's like, what is what is this specific production's needs? We need a special effects, effects person. We need... Um, you know, to get to build buzz with the PR, we need is just we need to find a location to shoot this scene. Um, it's it's just really dependent on on the project. Um, so I am learning. <laughs> I'm learning to see how that all goes, but it's been an amazing experience. And at the end of the day, it's my my philosophy right now, and and I hope to be moving forward is really less about what the project is and who the people are. And I think that if you invest in that, then you will, um, the, 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 the quality product will come. Fantastic. I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think that's an important distinction from how a lot of things are run. And I think it'll be important, for, especially in indie film, to approach things that way. Um, yeah, it's so hard to make a movie like any any <laughs> yeah. any film that's compl- that you know makes it to completion is is a miracle. And so when you have um you know when you're able to identify people who have just at the base level have just they've done it. They've released a film um and then it happens to be good and you know the people are great people to work with and in my case i'm trying to elevate queer voices so um it's all good fantastic you, you also mentioned um you know film set in and made in and set in salem and you have tried to elevate salem massachusetts in your work why is salem so special to you so many reasons. I mean, obviously, many, most people know, have some <laughs> impression of Salem. Mm-hmm. The For the witch trials in 1692, this is something that is often taught in elementary school um, or, or even high school. Um, and so you can go, you know, a lot of places in the world and mention Salem, Massachusetts, and people will have some um some way to identify it and usually be like oh the, where the witches are <laughs> so <laughs> um so that's that you know that's always an, it has been an interesting thing to me because um one i think the the history is is really fascinating but when it comes to the marketing i i find it really interesting that such a small community can have such a worldwide interest mm-hmm. um 
Yeah, because Salem is um, has a population of fifty five thousand people, and in October alone, it, it brings in five hundred thousand tourists. Mm-hmm. Yep, <laughs> it's crazy. Um, but year round, it's a beautiful place to visit. I mean, it's just obviously historic. Um, it's got you know the cobblestone streets and. Um, you know, the beautiful architecture, we're right on the ocean. Um, there's a lot more history here beyond the, the witch trials. There's um, Salem was a very um, big and influential port city for many years. And mm-hmm. that a lot, a lot of the trade, um, the international trade came through Salem, predominantly like the spice trade was really big in Salem. And so w- it was like this a revolving door of cultures and um, just different products and perspectives from around the world that I think it kind of created this sort of like curious community. Like that's, there's definitely like this sort of intellectually curious um, identity that's like built into the city. Like people who end up moving to Salem tend to be a little weird (laughs) Um, but, but like, or have like very specific kind of like kooky interests, Mm -hmm. horror, horror being one of them. Um, but like being very kind and curious and, um, and, and embracing that sort of like outsider, it's like a community of outsiders, which is kind of a, a weird thing to say. Um, but that's, that's how it feels here. And that's, that's, that's an energy that I really appreciate. It's a lot of creative people. It's a very progressive city. Um, and so there's, you know, I, I encourage people to come, you know, outside of October and see what the yeah. city has to offer. Yeah. I, I, as someone who lived in the Boston area for 15 years up until recently, I've always told people if they want to go to Salem, go in like August. Mm-hmm. It's it's quieter, but you still see all of the same stuff for the most part. Go, go and go around Halloween too, at least once. But if you want to actually appreciate Salem, go and the off season yeah everything that happens in october also happens yeah every other day of the year <laughs> exactly it's just fewer people <laughs> which makes it for me a little more comfortable to walk around absolutely um so shifting back to another thing you said obviously the 2016 election was a catalyst for creating Salem Horror Fest and some of the work you're doing today since that election you have been a very outspoken opponent of the Trump administration its policies and the right wing influence in both Salem but also the horror space what do you think the biggest issue within our space in the horror media is today and what's the best way to combat it? Well, unfortunately, a lot of the big problems of today are in every community. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's racism in every community, including the horror community and um, and, you know, in common inequality, like all of these issues that are day to day important to people's lives and that are life and death issues they are not um, you know specific to any one industry uh, they're just that pervasive um, but one that I've been very um, 
interested in lately is the sort of like hyper polarization of um, <laughs> appreciating films um, is like it mm. seems like every film that comes out, people either love it passionately or hate it passionately. And I, it, there just seems to be this like over and over again, there's like line in the sand about you know, whether a movie is good or bad and people starting to get aggressive towards each other about their opinions. And this is not the end of the world. It's not a huge, (laughs) um, you know, at the end of the day, it's not a huge issue, but I do think that it is part of the overall trend that we see in the world of polarization, this binary, this binary thinking of you're either with us or against us or, mm-hmm. um, you know, good, bad, uh, good, bad. Um. And something that I just I really want to try to encourage is to s- just accept f- film or it could be any art form as like on its own terms. Um, mm-hmm. I've always found that like saying whether something is good or bad is the least interesting thing you could ever say about it. Right. Um, you know, if you, if you can say um, if you could speak in the ways, it, it, you know, it, in which ways this thing is good or, or, or what is successful about, um, about this film or did the filmmaker, uh, achieve what they had intended by doing the film, mm-hmm. you know, cause if, if you're seeing a movie, there's at least some baseline competency there. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise it couldn't have made it to completion yeah. and, and distribution. Um, I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean it's the most well-crafted thing, mm-hmm. but one of the things that I've tried to approach from the program standpoint at the festival is, to explore the themes of a film, to explore the voices that are represented in the film, um, and to encourage people to watch a film with no expectations other than to be in a space to search for something of value. And it's like, hmm. what is the what is the one thing that I can walk away? Hopefully, there are many things. Ideally, that'd be great. <laughs> you know what I mean, if there are so many, um, you know, interesting things to think about or talk about within a film. But for me, when I when I watch a film, I'm just I'm trying to meet the film at its where it's at and look for the things that I can grab onto that have something to chew on. And, um, I think that helps, um, one, you know, foster more of, of like a, a critical thinking, um, an analysis of art and looking into subtext and, um, but also just trying to foster more appreciation of independent film, um, you know, encouraging people to watch films that they know nothing about. Um, and, and if you, have that sort of mentality of well i'm gonna i'm gonna see what i can find in this movie that's for me mm-hmm. i think whether or not you have any uh, um preconceived notions of what the film is going in is is irrelevant you just you're ready mm-hmm. to to s- experience it as as the filmmaker and in, um intends and then once the film is done 
that film is yours moving forward. It's the audiences. It's it's up to us to say what that film is, and it doesn't have to agree with anyone else. Um, so I just I I want to, in many ways, just do away with binary thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, but when as it pertains to the horror industry, it it would be nice if people could like chill out a little bit about. <laughs> <laughs> about you know the whatever the flavor of the week is and Mm -hmm. just you know talk about what it does well yeah i i think there's a disconnect from the idea of let people enjoy things that you don't necessarily enjoy that like you said people are very polarizing uh lately in particular so that it gets lost yeah and i I do think that the let people enjoy things can be problematic you know i mean it's like Mm -hmm. yeah i don't yeah it's like it's okay to like a movie it's okay to dislike a movie but it's not okay to dislike each other for what they like Mm -hmm. or dislike and so that's that's the element that that i'd really like Mm -hmm. everyone to work on and and part of it is that tends to come with like the most popular films that are coming out because oh, yeah. they're the, the water cooler topics or something that you know a, a large amount of people can talk about all at once so i'd love for there to be many different smaller conversations about independent or ideally i would love to have a really you know wide expanse of conversation about independent film but just the nature of distribution mm-hmm. that's that's you know unfortunately not how it's that but you know just let's broaden our our horizons absolutely i i agree wholeheartedly (laughs) (laughs) um going through over the last few years uh salem horror fest has grown uh quite rapidly what do you feel you owe that success uh, success to and how did you replicate that year over year Sure. Well, we have grown amazingly fast in five years. It's it's pretty remarkable. But um, one, I just have to credit the name recognition of Salem in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been very fortunate to um, to to live here to be able to produce this event. Um, you know, like I said before, you, you can go many places in the world and mention Salem, and people have some preconceived notion of of, of yeah. what Salem is. It's on so many people's bucket list, as it you know, I mean, so many people want to visit Salem already. So to say that there's a horror festival, then horror fans are already like, oh, great, then mm-hmm. you know, another another reason that I, you know, I want to be there. So that has given me a really good start, knowing that people already want to be here. Um, but I think that, um, my skill set with promotion, marketing PR has really helped, um, because I'm very aggressive with it and, you know, try to do everything I can to, to get our name out there, to get our program out there. Um, and one of the ways that I do that is by being extremely vocal on issues that I'm passionate about, that I believe in, that I know other people believe in as well. And mm-hmm. one thing that happened during the Trump administration is it was just every day there was one thing after another, just this like horrendous, <laughs> depressing things happening. Mm-hmm. And there are so many um, 
um, we are all disincentivized to speak openly about politics. If you're a business, yeah. people are, you know, businesses are afraid they're going to lose money if they alienate anyone. Or if you're an employee, you might be afraid you're going to lose your job or that you might create friction with your family or your friend. There's just so many disincentives for being vocal. And I feel like one of the most challenging things about that time, I mean, it's it's still an issue, obviously, but Mm -hmm. um, was feeling like no one was addressing it which made it feel yeah. like less like it wasn't really happening. <laughs> I remember like mm-hmm. you would watch the news and be like, how come, like, how come we're not really freaking out about this? This is like really bad shit. And so over time I started to feel like I was being gaslit in this way where I'm like, is this really happening? Am I the crazy one? Am I? <laughs> and, right. and because everyone is disincentivized to speak out about that, it, it perpetuates that. And so, um, being in the position that I am, that, you know, I, this is a business that I own. I don't report to anyone. Um, I have never been worried about alienating my friends or family. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so I, I felt like this was an opportunity to give people that sort of catharsis to be like, all right, well, at least this, this one business Mm -hmm. (laughs) is is talking candidly about these things. And, um, just from being a queer person, a trans woman, um, and, um, just wanting to be a welcoming place for anyone who is a horror fan and has not felt welcome. Um, you know, by being vocal about these issues, raising awareness about these issues, it also, I hope, demonstrates that this is a safe space that we do not tolerate any of that sort of fascist, judgmental, um, um, just way of thinking. And we've turned a lot of people away. Um, you know, mm-hmm. There's a lot of people who dislike us strongly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, and there was a time where our Facebook page was like just nonstop mm-hmm. combat with, with trolls. Yep. Um, I have to and- say though, I, I very much appreciated following the Facebook page and seeing how you responded to people over and over <laughs> again. It was amazing. <laughs> Thank you. It was also cathartic. Um, but it, obviously that's. Mm-hmm not what i want to be doing right. i really yeah absolutely i, I really wish that it, it, it hadn't come to this but but it's important and um i think just as much as we say what we stand for um with with our politics with our you know our mission um and program uh but also to say what we won't tolerate i think is is equally important and mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me, it's not, it's not enough to say that, oh, we accept everyone. Um, because as someone from a marginalized community that has not felt welcome in many spaces, Mm -hmm. if you welcome everyone that includes, you know, Nazis and nationalists, white nationalists and transphobes, and it just, it goes on and on and on. So, um, you know, I feel like I'm in a, pretty unique um position where i can be a a little more unhinged (laughs) 
and what I believe in if mm-hmm. if 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 it is sort of like sending a flare up to say like this is a space that is is not afraid to speak how we feel and in mm-hmm. doing so you know that others are welcome to come yeah a friend of mine said once that in order to create safe inclusive and diverse spaces you have to be a gatekeeper because you have to you have to make a decision on like no bigots aren't allowed in this space go away absolutely um before we shift gears a little bit and talk about um more about you a little bit i guess <laughs> um mm-hmm. i did want to touch on one more thing um, which is uh, a quote from the Salem Horror Fest website, which reads, Salem, Massachusetts is known around the world as a Halloween mecca, but it is important to remember how religion and greed were used to scapegoat vulnerable members of this community, mostly women, and sentence them to death. It is a deeply horrific and shameful moment in our history, one that must not be forgotten. How do you feel uh, more people can help educate and further those efforts outside of Salem and in other parts of the country as well as globally. That's a pretty big topic. Um, It is. It is. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, you know, I think, I think one, um, you know, this is, I I guess kind of a corny answer, but I do think that it has tremendous value is Arthur Miller's the crucible, I think Mm. is a, a brilliant work of art because he, um, wrote this play about you know the the events of the 1692 trials and um, but the the play itself was really about um the the blacklist of the 50s um mm-hmm. just sort of like the communist scare and I think that it's just it's just really important for people to key in whenever someone is being a, a group of people are being demonized yeah i think that should just immediately send like uh, a red flag and mm-hmm. it, we need to unpack that <laughs> and we need to look further to be like well what is what is the end game here why why are are, are they being targeted in this way yeah. and you know, over the last five, six years or whatever, it's just been so grating to hear people use the term witch hunt just to, <laughs> yep. as this, like, I don't know, I don't know, this sort of, like, deflection. Um, and I, I think one way that this this really needs to be, um, a way for this conversation to be helpful is to, like, narrow what this actually means and for me, it's really about the the politicization the politicization of um of witch hunts and targeting mm-hmm. indigenous communities from the viewpoint of the law that the this is like a viewpoint that is being um, written into law and therefore yep. you know that to me is where the line is people there are people are terrible and humans are <laughs> capable of so much bad behavior mm-hmm. and. All, all of that is is problematic and should be addressed. But one step above that is when that sort of behavior is being codified into law. And yeah. so, for me, like I'm I'm a very progressive liberal person, but the only time I get like aggressively angry is when there's a law that is saying these group of people can't do something that everyone else can. Um, 
you know, or like, or any issue where your neighbors are allowed to vote on your, the way you live your life. Um, I just think it's just really disturbing. And I think that needs to be, people can say witch hunt, like, oh, the media is out to get me. And it's like, well, that's not what a witch hunt is. A witch hunt means that the the government has said it is okay to arrest these individual people for who they marry, for the medic, what kind of medication they're on, for mm-hmm. you know the amount of money in their you know their family household or the color of their skin or you know it's it's once it gets into law that I think we really have to be vigilant and. If we address that, hopefully <laughs> the other things will will improve. But I think it's just to always be skeptical of um, any sort of coordinated effort to demonize a group of people um, is is to just look more into it, to read mm-hmm. to, to read the news. Um, to, to read the news, not what, not just watch the news is <laughs> to like, mm-hmm. you know, and, and from multiple sources um, and to just broaden, you know, your perspective on the, the individual lives of people who are not like you, I think would really help um, to prevent future witch hunts from happening. Absolutely. I, I could absolutely not have put that better myself. (laughs) It's, it's interesting. Um, my, just a a side tangent that I might actually cut out of this. Uh, my father is a teacher in public school systems. He's also, since the, my mother passed, discovered that he is bisexual. So he's been going through a lot of interesting, and I've been talking to him a lot, a lot about it as well. Um, shifts not shifts but being much more vocal about his uh opposition to laws being passed in certain southern states and things of that nature yeah it's terrifying and it's uh, i don't know it's just really Mm -hmm. depressing and um and 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 weird like it i think it's just i guess this react it's this sort of like reactionary freak out that it's like you can't legislate away the existence of people Mm -hmm. but and that's like what the attempt seems to be is that we can't or we can't acknowledge the history of racism in this country we can't acknowledge that um some kids in the class have gay parents we can't acknowledge that some of the kids in the class are whichever gender they are it's it's Mm -hmm. these are like such I don't know. Growing up, I mean, <laughs> when I think about, I feel very fortunate now when I look back at my my school experience and I'm like, well, at least, I mean, I was still taught, you know, a version of truth of the history and it definitely mm-hmm. wasn't all, you know, perfect or 100% accurate or inclusive of other people's experiences. But the stuff that we're seeing now is just so frightening because it's it's a coordinated effort at a national yeah. level. Oh yeah, you see you see people attempt to take not even not even really a, a full step forward, but it's like a half step forward, and then there's such a backlash that 
we're, we're roughly the same age, I think, you know, in the late 80s and 90s growing up, we didn't have the same visibility into these issues, but also didn't have the same backlash against them, which is a very interesting dichotomy. Right. It was like being having some sort of level of freedom in the shadows. Mm hmm. But now it's like, oh, my gosh, look at all these these happy trans people who are excited to live like as their authentic selves. Can't have that. Mm-hmm. Or like here exactly. are all these people of color who are becoming more successful and having, you know, being um, having more influence in our politics and, um, you know, also living their happy lives. Can't have that. Like, who can't? it's just mm-hmm. so so weird and, and a double-edged sword and the only thing that i try to hold on to is that the fact that they're fighting this so hard to me says that we're close to winning um other otherwise it it, it wouldn't be this dire um but that's not to say that they won't win that's the you know that that they won't succeed at what they're trying to do and so it really is life and death in so many situations um, but but I, I I don't think that they would be freaking out this much if we weren't close to a society where everyone was equal. I agree. So they're the light at the end of the tunnel, I suppose. Hopefully. I mean, it's Hopefully. up to us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, on that somber note, <laughs> <laughs> shifting gears a little, uh, what's sure. your favorite horror movie? <laughs> ah, well, uh, also a difficult question. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I always I always say, let me start listing them and then I'll pick one while I'm talking. Yeah. Well, so I would say um, Cat People is, mm. you know, Cat People, if I were to do a few, I do Cat People, Blood and Black Lace, and Carnival of Souls. Oh, and Night of the Living Dead. Night of the Living yet. Dead. I think Night of the Living Dead is like, I don't know, like the horror Bible of this country. I don't know. That's not mm. a great term, but when I, <laughs> like if I think about like one movie, um, I mean, for me personally, this would be the one movie, but not everyone is as passionate about horror as I am. So there might yeah. be another more broad movie that is a, a better I, representative. I happen to agree with you. It's that's usually the one I'd land on. I'm like, okay, it's probably Night of the Living Dead, but yeah, it's just such a cultural touchstone that I think, you know, in, in, in some ways that uh, George intended and others mm-hmm. that he didn't. But I just think it's this like perfect uh, representation of what America is. Um, mm-hmm. But but for me personally, it's, you know, it's it's films that have these sort of um, subtextual uh, queer themes or films that could be read um Mm -hmm. as as queer and uh, yeah that's and they're all um beautiful in a certain way what was the second movie you said blood on black lace uh a blood and black lace yeah blood and black lace yes yeah it's a mario i haven't seen that one oh please see it it's a mario bava film um from 1960 and um you know bava was a cinematographer for many many years he's made he's been involved with like Mm-hmm. It's a ton of films but once he moved to directing um you know he being a cinematographer he just has this like amazing eye and um you know w- when it comes to photography the, the most important thing is 
light. And he is just such a master with his use of light. And the thing in particular that draws me to his work is his use of color light, color gels. Mm. And so this film, um, Blood and Black Lace, is often attributed as like the original slasher or mm-hmm. the original giallo, which led to the slasher yeah. you know, film. And it's um, it takes place in a, um, a fashion house in Italy. And um, it's run by, well, it's run by a man and a woman. There's this countess um, who sort of runs the show. And they have these like, there always is in the older Italian horror films. Yes. Oh, and it's Eva Bartok, and she's just so oh, nice, so striking. And um, but it's you know there are all these models being um taken out one by one by a masked killer, and um, it's just his shot compositions and his use of light are just like this thing belongs in the MoMA. It's just so beautiful to look at. And it's like, like many horror films, especially slashers that gets um, people claim that, you know, talk talk about it as being a misogynist film. But for Mm -hmm. me, I think that it's um, because a lot of the deaths are sexualized. um, Mm -hmm. And for me, I think that he is directly commenting on misogyny um and i think in a lot of ways that this is a satire of how we view women how we um use women's bodies as commodities Mm -hmm. and these sort of disposable ways and i think um he is he is commenting on that um as you know as as a giallo film but also as a commentary on just fashion culture in general which of course in italy is is, mm-hmm. do- is hugely dominant. Uh, I'm definitely going to add that to the list to watch soon. Ooh, please tell me what you think. I will. Uh, so now that we've talked uh, a, a little bit about how wonderful Romero and Baba are, uh, who's your favorite director? <laughs> so here uh, I would talk about um, Catherine Bigelow and Kat mm. Shea. Mm-hmm. Um, they're both, you know, women directors in the work in, um, I mean, Catherine Bigelow works in multiple genres, but, mm-hmm. um, but genre pictures nonetheless, I mean, she's, she's, she's basically made like an impeccable action film an impeccable, mm-hmm. well, several, several impeccable, you know, uh, uh, um, an impeccable horror film with near dark, you know, point break is the action film and, mm-hmm. Um, I, I just think she understands, uh, both of them understand genre so well. And when it comes to Kat Shea, who did Strip to Kill, The Rage Carry 2, Streets, Poison Ivy. What I love about her work is that it's, um, they all seem of a piece to be so distinctively feminine and dealing with female characters and all of them, um, all of the characters being in situations where they're, disenfranchised marginalized they are in a position to where they don't have power but the films themselves are about them finding their agency and discovering that power and ultimately wielding that power and so her work has has really drawn me in that way and I just think that when we talk about like the quote masters of horror, we, you know, we go to John Carpenter and, mm-hmm. 
you know, Sam Raimi. And, you know, there's a lot of these names that we go to and people develop these names, this sort of like mythos around their filmography because they have a filmography, they have a body of work that people can kind of look at as a piece and say, oh, well, that makes, you know, that makes this person part of this club where they've been able to create successful, you know, a series of successful horror films. And, um, and Catherine Bigelow and Ketche have both done that. And I feel like they're not Mm -hmm. in the same conversation. Um, And so I I really, I just, I really want to speak about them as often as I can. Nice. Yeah. I've, I've, railed uh angrily on social media several times and recently about how hard it is to find your dark and watch it so (laughs) (laughs) where did i where did i see it i just watched it recently i'm trying to remember where i found it but it's it's incredible it's It's such a good movie yeah um um Sorry, lost my place here. Uh, <laughs> uh, outside of film, obviously, there's a lot of different um, mediums for horror, be it uh, novels or video games. Uh, do you also dive into those media heavily uh, in addition to film? And if so, which one's your favorite? Sure. Um, I mean, none as much as film, um, but... Uh, I do, I do really enjoy reading and um, a a book that I just recently finished that I'm obsessed with and I I just finished it and I'm reading it again. Um, That's how much, which I don't know that I've ever done before. Um, And it's a book called Manhunt by Gretchen Felker Martin. It's a new book. It was just released Mm -hmm. a couple months ago and it's this post-apocalyptic world in which, um, Everyone with an XY chromosome basically like mm, regresses into this sort of like feral, um, this just like base human behavior hmm. state, and so you know it's it's all men, um, and so it's you know the women who are left who have to um. You know, it's kind of like why the last man in that way, where mm-hmm. it's like yeah. that now the women have to figure out how to run the world without without the men. Um, but it is it acknowledges the sort of like quandary of like, well, what happens to trans people in this scenario? Mm-hmm. Um, Something that it always bothered me why the last man doesn't really address. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. Um, and so, um, you know, they they talk about how. Um, depending on like the stage of transition and like the mm. access to the hormones or some other, um, what do you call it? Herbs. There's some like licorice root. Like there's just like ways for trans people <laughs> to like continue their estrogen levels um, up in a way to because if they get too low, then they could turn. And um, and, and and then there's also um, um, transmasculine characters. Mm-hmm. who you know are in this world of dominant woman mostly women um but they're men in this landscape and so how are they viewed in a world where people when they see a man they think they're this creature is going to kill us so yeah. this film is told through many different perspectives from trans characters 
and they all have agency. They're all extremely powerful and do super badass things. Like it's just, it was really cool to see like these trans characters, like action heroes, and and they're and it's like they're complicated. They have mm-hmm. inner lives and you know issues that they're working through and conflicts with one another. Um, but I just it was one of the first times that I've ever felt like I saw myself in um, like a movie or any sort of media. And it was just such a cool experience um, that I really appreciated. And it's extremely well-written and it's gripping. I mean, it's only 300 pages, so it's a quick read. And it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of, you know, it's sort of like a zombie, I am legend kind of, you know, approach where there's, you know, it's the post-apocalypse with these like horde, uh, horde creatures that are out to get Mm. you. Um, Interesting. so yeah, I, I'm super into it. I hope it gets optioned for a movie because it would, or a TV series because it would be amazing to see. Sounds like it. What was the name of that again? Manhunt, Manhunt. by Gret- by Gretchen Felker Martin. Excellent. I'm gonna make sure I put a note about that uh, in the show notes. Oh, please do. Before I jump into kind of the end of the the interview which is our lightning round where i just i'm gonna fire off a bunch of questions and have you say the first thing that comes to your mind i just wanted to ask what advice do you have for um anyone looking to forge their own path in the fields that you work in whether it's focused on festival work or the horror horror film or marketing in general what advice do you have for folks so hmm, i would say one, just know what you're passionate about um, and know, I mean, everyone knows what they're passionate about, but like know <laughs> where it, where the like quote market is for that. Like to look mm. at who else is doing what you want to do and then look at, well, what is it that only you can do with that in that space? Um, or is there something or is it? not being done at all you know what i mean i this i mm-hmm. f- for me so obviously like w- when i think about the, the festival there wasn't a horror festival in salem boom right easy <laughs> you know what i mean like yep. there's like a feeling it there should be one it makes sense that there's one that kind of gave me like an easy in but then i'm also um in a way i don't i don't view myself as as being in competition but i am in a um, a community of other festivals that receive um, submissions and everything and pe- that people attend and different filmmakers submit to. And so what is it that I bring to the festival world that is different from the others as a way to distinguish myself and to mm-hmm. sort of justify my place in this market to say that I'm, I'm bringing my own you know my own unique way of doing it so so being able to know what you're capable of and how it differs from other people um and to just constantly be working towards that i mean like in a way both in both conscious and unconscious ways i've been working towards this for 20 years and it's all been accumulative all of the experience whether it was directly 
skills that I'm actively using now or not. Like it all led me here and it was extremely hard and it took a lot of patience and I gave up many times um, and came back to it. And so to have uh, this sort of determination and when you're looking into to look for help to, I mean, obviously the internet can get, get, get us access to all kinds of information and, and community and other people, but to talk to other people who have done it, you know, I, I'm very open. I thought, you know, if anyone wanted to ask me questions, I'd be very open to tell them, but it's the same thing that I do when I, when I'm trying to figure something out, I look for, not someone who's being, you know, paid at Blumhouse or something, you know, someone who's being paid as part of like this other corp, you know, corporate entity, but someone who has done it themselves. Because mm-hmm. one, they're going to be more um, likely to share information with you. Um, and two, because it's more applicable, like in mo- most of us, we're self-starts. So, you know, we have, we don't, we won't have, a, we won't be starting with a lot of resources. So to, to talk to people who have been there, who have taken those arrows and have made it through the other side, um, you know, they're, they're really good resources. Absolutely. I, I can, I can only second everything you said there uh, as someone who's done much the same, uh, you know, just in different fields. Okay, lightning round. <laughs> I added a couple questions to this while we were talking because you you made me think of a few things. So, right. um, what is your favorite non horror movie? So I would say, um, I mean, I'm gonna have to give a few, but like After Hours, Martin Scorsese, Tangerine by Sean Baker, and Bound by the Wachowski sisters. Fantastic. Uh, do you prefer plays or musicals for stage? Hmm. Mm, plays it's okay. funny that you should say that actually because I, I i did a couple of years at an acting conservatory in manhattan mm-hmm. when i was like 19 and 20 years old and um it had two tracks there was um there was the musical program or they called the integrated program and then there was um the straight acting, which mm-hmm. is kind of funny to say, <laughs> but you know, which was like, yeah, plays. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I was, I, I was only one of two out queer people in that program. All the other, all the out queer people were in the musical theater program. <laughs> and so yeah. they, they called me stoner fag and <laughs> we called them time, time steppers. <laughs> Oh no. Yeah. Um <laughs> what what is your favorite stage play? Hmm. Oh, so I mean, one that I've always wanted to direct is Talk Radio by Eric Bogosian, mm-hmm. um, which was adapted for film with um by Oliver. Um oh my god, Oliver Stone. That that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, <laughs> what is your what is your favorite band? Ooh, um, Talking Heads or like Susie and the Banshees. Okay, okay. Uh, what is your favorite shop in Salem? Ooh, keep in mind I'm going to judge you on this one because I like Salem a lot. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I mean. <sighs> There are a few, but I'm gonna have to say Harrison's Comics because it's an mm. institution. It's been there for gosh, yep. 
over 30 years, I think now, um, a really cool comic shop. Um, but, but if, if that, if you're, if, um, unless there are other questions related to things in Salem, I would, cause this isn't really a shop, but mm-hmm. my number one would be count Orlock's nightmare gallery. I mean, they have, they have like a retail component, but as a mm-hmm. destination, that's yep. my yep. number one. And that is the next question was, what is your favorite tourist destination? In oh, Salem, okay. which, oh yeah, no, that's, that's a great one. Uh, the only other place, um, my personal favorite, just because I want to give them a shout out, is Hive and Forge, which is oh. a, the relatively new shop in Salem. It's only been yes. around for a couple of years, if I remember correctly. Yeah. They're a good one, too. But yeah, no, uh, Harrison's is a great shop. That's cool. Yeah. Um, oh, just a quick plug for the Satanic Temple it is headquartered oh, yeah. in Salem. So I yep. think that's super cool. That's a, that's a, also a great destination spot. I also um, like the Pirate Museum. Actually, I prefer the Pirate Museum to the Witch Museums personally, because uh, it, it's it's weird. It's weird. Yeah, <laughs> it's a weird vibe in there. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a weird, different weird vibe with the Salem Witch Museum. But yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I've known a lot of people who've worked there, and they've all been cool. Nice. Well, that is all the questions I had for you today. Uh, do, so before we sign off here, do you have any other projects you want to let people know about? Obviously, there's Salem Horror Fest, but uh, anything else you're working on or um, want to let people know where they can follow you online? Sure. So uh, Salem Horror Fest news to be announced soon. So if you're interested, like check out SalemHorror.com and Salem Horror Fest sometime late April. I should have an announcement. Um, nice. Otherwise, two films that are um, production and post-production right now to keep an eye out for is St. Drogo um, and Bad Girl Boogie. Excellent. All right. Well, to all of the listeners, thank you for listening to the Gehenna Gaming Podcast. Today's guest has been Kay Lynch. I have been your host, Ian E. Muller. A special thank you to all of our Patre- Patreons for this episode. You can join our Patreon to gain access to our VIP Discord channels, early access to these podcast episodes before they air to the public, video calls with our team, and much more. But uh, one last time, I want to thank you for joining us today, Kay. Thank you, Ian. I had a great time. Excellent. And... Uh, I will talk to the rest of you soon. Mm-hmm.